Welcome to the first episode of the Arts Presenter Podcast. I'm really excited to get this podcast off the ground, and I'm also really excited to have just confirmed the full lineup for the 2021 Soundcheck Summer Music Series in Pinedale, Wyoming. We've got so many great bands coming to Pinedale this summer, including Sierra Farrell, Vandaliers, and Jackie Venson. Check out the full lineup at soundcheckpinedale.com. And if you're in the area this summer, come check out one of our shows. They're free, and Pinedale's an amazing place to be in the summer. All right, today's guest is Rob Miller from the Colorado-based Pickin' Productions. Rob and I talk shop about presenting our summer concert series from booking to production to just how important live music is to small communities. Rob also talks about presenters going the extra mile for their favorite pet bands and how being a deadhead sometimes plays into his booking process. For all this and more, stick around. You're listening to the Arts Presenter Podcast. Uh, we're real excited to have Rob Miller with Pickin' Productions joining us today. Uh, Rob presents a indoor and outdoor concert series in Paonia, Leadville, Crested Butte, and uh, various other cities and towns uh, throughout western Colorado. He's presented uh, some of my favorite bands, including Lake Street Dive, Nathaniel Ratcliffe, Steep Canyon Rangers, Shiny Ribs, and Birds of Chicago, to name a few. And I'm really excited to have him on the show because Rob essentially does uh, in the summer sort of the same thing that I do. We both present uh, very similar style, styles of outdoor summer concert series. Uh, where we differ, though, is when I started uh, the Soundcheck Summer Music Series, we had maybe 80 people at the first one and uh, our budget was really tight. Rob, on the other hand, started with the Yonder Mountain String Band, which is uh, going pretty big pretty early. So, Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. And yeah, just maybe start with uh, that first show, getting Yonder Mountain String Band and getting Pickin' Productions off the ground. Sure. Uh, I moved to Paonia in 1999, kind of moved here to um, start a farm with my girlfriend. And it was uh, it's a small town, still about 1,500 people. I, I looked around and there were... Um, mostly coal miners and ranchers, people who have been here for years and uh, working the land in those ways. And there was maybe like, I don't know, a dozen, maybe 20 people who you'd kind of consider more like progressive people. Uh, and I looked around and there was no music going on here in town. So I decided why not get it going? I had, I had been a promoter a little bit in college. Um, a claim to fame in college is that I brought fish uh, in for Earth Day in 1990 in uh, Potsdam, New York. So you had booked shows before? I had booked shows in college, yeah. I was I was on different committees and stuff where we were given um, budgets, and it wasn't anything like I was, you know, using as an identity or thinking I was going to do long run. It was just more a college thing, and I was a fish fan at the time. They were playing in little clubs in Vermont close by, so we brought them in and, you know. Uh, but my 20s, I just kind of bopped all around the country, lived in different places. And then I landed here around when I turned 30. And yeah, like I said, I just started um, thinking it was uh, time for this town to, to have some music. And so it was all in conjunction with working with KVNF Radio, which is our local community radio station based here in uh, downtown Paonia. And uh, I was a DJ on the Pickin' Show, which was a bluegrass-oriented show, um, which ended up getting me backstage... Uh, tickets to Rocky Grass, which is the big festival that happens uh, outside of Boulder. 
And so I found myself that first year kind of brewing, well, maybe I'll bring some music into town here. And then I was backstage at Rocky Grass where Yonder Mountain played. Uh, probably the first time, I think, at Rocky Grass, I imagine, back in 1999 at the time, I guess. And, um, and just started talking to Jeff and those guys, and they were easy to talk to. And we were interviewing them for KVNF. And at the end uh, of the okay. interview, I said... I said, hey, you guys want to come out and play Paonia? And they were like, oh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to come out to Western Colorado. And they hadn't really done a lot of touring. So it was early in their career, early in my career. I uh, gave them, I think, 500 bucks. And they came out and played the Blue Sage Center for the Arts. And that was our first show that we presented here. Um, and then it's, you know, 20 years later, here we are. Yeah, we we started ours very a very similar way. There was, you know, not a lot of people here. We didn't really know how, you know, how we would get people that appreciate you know, that style of music and that style of setting to the shows. Um, so, so it was, it was kind of a struggle early on, um, also with financially. Um, but I, I, I think when you do what we do, this outdoor summer concert series, people just kind of find a way to it and it develops over time. Um, your, the audience, what was the reception of those first shows after Yonder Mountain String Band, uh, from, from a community standpoint? Well, yeah. So I should be clear. We've been doing just to kind of separate the the styles of shows. We've been doing the free summer concerts in the parks like you're talking about for about uh, this will be our 14th year doing it. So the origin story that I just mentioned is 20 years ago. And these were ticketed events, which I still okay. do. Um, so Yonder Mountain was the first ticketed event. And that was that was the community. Like I said, the, the 20 progressive people were there. But then there were also some cowboys there at that show being, you know, looking at them going, oh, this is bluegrass. You know, this is something we can kind of sink our teeth into and the miners. And, um, you know, I can't say it was a sold out show, but it, there, were, there were a good amount of people there. But then after Yonder, um, I, I picked up on the the fact that the community was resonating with the acoustic bluegrass kind of country tinged stuff. So we followed that show with uh, bands like Tim O'Brien and Daryl Scott and um, uh, Open Road. Do you remember those guys? That was Bradley Folk. Uh, they were out of the front range. It was traditional bluegrass. It was, it was an amazing little moment in bluegrass. It didn't last long. Um, and we did other bluegrass bands and then we moved into more old time music with, uh, the real time travelers. We brought them in okay. a couple of times, uh, Martha Scanlon's old band. Um, and we kind of stuck with bluegrassy country stuff because as I mentioned, the community was pretty rootsy, you know, in terms of being old timers around here and we needed them. I mean, if we're going to do a show where we sell 150 tickets, um, there just weren't 150 typical Colorado music fans. We had to cater to, you know, who was here, but it worked for me because I loved bluegrass music. I still do. And country music and all of that. But then about, I don't know, six or seven years in the Democrat, the demographics started changing here in town and more progressive people started moving in. And I started getting feedback from people on the street saying, um, Hey, I want to support your series, but Hey, can you bring a dance band in or can you bring something funky or can you bring a reggae band or whatever? And personally, I love, I love all music. So I resonated with that too. I said, yeah, but you got to support it. You know, if I'm going to bring a, like a hip young band in, I, I'm losing the Cowboys. So I need you guys. So it's been basically what I've been communicating is it, crazy enough. As a matter of fact, all the way up to this morning, I posted something on our local message board. Um, 
explaining how much I need the community to be behind what we're doing. Because I, because after doing this for 20 years, I have to say, I'm starting to get the feeling like um, the community is almost, almost kind of getting close to taking it for granted. And it's, 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 um, kind of understandable, I guess, but there's so many new people here that I don't think they understand the history of where we were 20 years ago and where we are now. I think people move to Paonia or come to visit Paonia and they think, oh, this is just a cultural, you know, hub. This all these great bands come through all the time, but we've worked hard to make that happen. And, uh, and now people are a little nonchalant about buying tickets to shows because they think, oh, there'll just be another show down the road. And I just wrote my community today saying, well, I understand that, that mentality, but you gotta step up and you gotta lay 25 bucks down and, and buy tickets to these shows because we wanna keep growing. And if you don't, we won't. So, and it's been interesting all morning. I've been kind of watching the feedback on that and uh, we continue to have great support from the community, but I definitely need to give them a little wake up call right now. That kind of leads into what I had next was just how, how do you book? Um, I, I guess when you're starting to, to get into booking more non-traditional stuff, like a dance band, we kind of do the same thing. Uh, you know, we'll do one indie rock show. We'll do one bluegrass show. We'll do one, Gosh, do you still call it alt country? Is that still a thing? <laughs> it's funny. I almost wore my shirt today saying alt country, not alt facts. Or I guess Americana is just kind of took over that. I think name. so. Um, I think so. Although I, I, I hear it still sometimes the alt country, and it resonates with me because when I was getting into like Steve Earle and Emmylou Harris and that stuff, alt country meant good country music, you know. Um, but but my question, I guess it was a two parter: is how do you um, go about your booking? And do you see yourself as more of a curator with how you book your series and your concerts? I have relationships with agents. And I think that is really the number one resource I have to find bands. Um, and as you know, Tim, there's all sorts of agents out there. And some are better than others. Yep. And some you trust more than others. And some, when they approach you and say, hey, I got this new band you need to check out. Some, you really listen. And we've learned through the years to really pay attention to those agents who say, I got, not only do I have a new band, but this is a band that you should check out. And that's the thing about having relationships with these agents. It's when you have a new agent come on board and they throw you, you know, seven bands to check out and you don't know who this guy is and you check out a couple of them and like one's like a punk band and one's like an EDM band. I know right off the bat, they, they don't really know who I am. You know, and, but if, but if an agent comes to me who does know who I am and says, Hey, there's this punk band I picked up, but I think he might resonate with what you do. Check it out. And I will check it out because I know that agent, you know, hearing a band on Spotify is one thing, but, but feel like knowing who their team is, is almost as important as the music. So, um, so I, so I've learned to just trust agents and managers, um, and that's kind of where I start. So for instance, um, I sent an email out earlier uh, a couple of months ago um, telling all the agents what I'm doing this year, all the different free concert series I'm doing, all the t different ticketed shows I'm doing. And about two months ago, I got, a, I got a trickling back from agents just because we're in a weird year this year. Um, but I sent another one of those emails out about a week ago and I've got about 75 emails in my inbox right now that I need to go through. And there are agents who I know and other agents who are pitching bands to me. And this is the time of year where 
I wake up, I make a cup of coffee and I start going through those emails and looking at bands. Some I am of course familiar with um, that I've either wanted to work with for years. I have worked with before. I'm kind of curious what they're up to these days or new bands. And I just, I click on videos and if they don't give me enough to look at, I get onto YouTube and I'll, I'll clear the filter to give me what these people have done in the last year. So I can see their most uh, relevant touring band. Um, and then I just kind of, I wait to see the bands that resonate with me. Um, but, you know, Charlie Cran from Strawberry and uh, from the Strawberry Music Festival out in California, who uh, Charlie's the talent buyer there, and um, Terry Wickham from the Edmonton Folk Festival, they both told me um, at different times when we were talking about uh, being a buyer that they wait to hear about a band from three different sources that they trust. Oh, wow. So uh, before they before they would ever book them. So if I call Charlie one day and say, hey, Charlie, like, uh, you know, I remember years ago I called him and said, hey, have you ever thought about bringing in the Wilders? And he would say, you know, never heard of the Wilders, but I'll, I'll mark that as one. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I'll mark that as one person who I trust who told me about the Wilders. When a couple more people tell me about them, I'll start paying attention to them. And I thought that, and both these guys have been in the business forever. And I thought that was kind of a wise way to go. And I think that I, I do that just implicitly anyway, you know? So if an agent comes to me with a band that I've been hearing about, I think, oh, there it is. You know, maybe now the buzz, I can hear the buzz. I can feel the buzz. And that means a lot. Sure. And you really get into one of the one of the really fun things about being a presenter is that whole wormhole you go into uh, with with bands, especially ones that you don't know. You know, sometimes you'll just a, an agent that you've never heard of will send you an entire roster um, and you'll just go on a deep dive over like Christmas or something. Um, that's something I really like. I also really like this time of the year. Uh, we're recording this in early April when a lot of uh music festivals um, and concert series, but mostly music festivals are releasing their posters and their graphics. You know, you see the big Jason Isbell at the very top of it. But I really love when those things come out, especially if they're near me, because I like I like to go through the little bands at the very at the very bottom because I know I can afford them. I don't know how many bands I've been turned on to by just absolutely. Yeah, just going on. I mean, for me, when when like there are certain festivals like Pickathon up in uh, Portland area, when they release their lineup, I that's one festival that I just pretty much go down the line and check out every band. Yep, I do too. Because those guys are, I mean, they just do, I, I'm not sure if they're all there anymore, but Zale and uh, Terry were the ones running that festival for years. Um, but they are just, um, they're amazing at finding bands in every genre that I've never heard of. I can't even believe I've never heard of them. And they're so good, you know? and. So there's certain, and I mentioned, you know, both Strawberry Music Festival and Edmonton, those guys are great at it too. Um, but yeah, I, absolutely. The middle band, the middle bands, the lower bands. And then what a great feeling it is to to uh, have presented some of those bands and then see them pop up on those, on those festivals. Oh yeah, that's great too. too. Isn't that great? And I don't want to take anything away from, from those bands that are on, you know, listed in small type. Those are, those are my favorite bands for the most part. Yeah. Um, They're the up and, up and comers. Yeah, that's, that's, absolutely. You know, and I think really moving into the conversation and I know that you, you want to steer a little bit toward the, um, toward the free concerts, you know, the up and comers is our bread and butters, you know, I mean, that's who, that's who we can afford you know, the bands, we can afford the $2,500 bands or whatever they are. Um, 
who come and play for free in the park for us and our community. Um, but, but as I was telling my community this morning on that post, uh, you know, um, someone was saying, you know, why don't you bring Lake Street Dive back? You know, and, and my reply to that was, I'd love to work with them again, and I might, but that's not the point. You're missing the point. When Lake Street Dive played here for $2,500, um, you you didn't know that they were going to be Lake Street Dive. You know, you have to come to these shows to see the people on the bottom of the festival poster um, because they're, they could be on the top of the festival poster in a couple of years, you know, and that's that's the beauty of these free concert series and the fun of being a promoter in these kind of communities is you get to you get to do your best at sort of rolling the dice and taking the chance of who you believe in, even though they're nobody now, but you and I know that they could be somebody, you know? Yeah. And I should have made that distinction a little earlier. I'm, you have a little more of a budget. You have a little more of an audience. So you're bringing in, in bigger names. I, I don't, I probably could. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting in, in our case, we just, you know, I could bring it, I, I could probably get enough money to get Lake Street Dive, but Lake Street Dive would not want to play my concert series or my little stage. Um, and no, the, but my point is when I had them, but when I had them, they weren't Lake Street oh, Dive. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They were, what, you know, they were a $2,500 band. And, you know, that I found at a conference in a in a hotel room in Memphis. Oh, wow. Which, you know, that's which where, conference was that? Was that? That was Folk Alliance when it was in Memphis for one year. Oh, or wow. maybe it was in Memphis for three years, but... Uh, yeah, we went down there and my buddy and I just stumbled upon this in this, you know, and we can get into conferences, which was where we met you and I, Yeah. um, you know, conferences are a whole world in and of itself. And that's actually part of, I guess it should be part of the answer of how I, how I find bands. Um, yeah, we can touch on it real quick. Uh, I, I guess, um, that's, I'd like these podcasts to be somewhat educational for those folks that are looking to get into the arts presenting world or just someone in a community somewhere that has a park, but there's no concert series or there's an auditorium, but nobody books anything in it. There are these things called conferences. You and I met at uh, Arts Northwest, which is a booking conference, and it was in Eugene, Oregon. I would say I get maybe five to 10% of, you know, not as much for the summer concert series, um, I also book a, a 519 seat house in Pinedale, Wyoming. Um, so we'll get more of the like smaller dance companies and stuff that we see at these things. But yeah, there's a real great one uh, called Folk Alliance. It's usually in Kansas City. I've, I love going to it. And um, I think you even recommended it originally to me. And I've definitely booked a, a lot of bands there. It's not just folk bands. Um, mm-hmm. But as, as far as, yeah, as far as, um, you know, the other avenues we go to to book um yeah conferences are on there agents reaching well out. conferences are yeah so there's all all different kinds of conferences um there's conferences that are focused toward performing arts centers which is the big one is apap which happens in january in new york uh and then there's regional ones arts northwest where we met being one of them and then there's more like traditional booking conferences, which uh, is more of a folk alliance. So that folk alliance is when there's a lot of bands, it's pretty cheap, it's cheap enough for them to get there. So literally, I don't know, folk alliance must have a thousand bands there or something. I don't know, hundreds. I think hundreds it was up to least. two, th- it's, it's um, going to it for the first time just blew my mind. Um, yeah, and and what that for me as a buyer, uh, you know, for everything we're doing out here, um, the, the key for me for conferences 
is the fact that you and I both, we live in very rural areas, yep. you know? So it's not like we're in a city where every band we are interested in comes through eventually throughout the year and we can just catch them when we can. That does not exist here. If, if you and I are not bringing the band in, we're not, we have to go out of town to see them. So conferences are really convenient. Um, I've, in the last few years, I've basically um, been regularly attending in the fall, um, IBMA, which is the big bluegrass conference, Folk Alliance, uh, which is all kinds of music, um, the Americana conference, which is AMA, which happens in Nashville, yep. uh, and then APAP in, um, in January in New York. So those four are my bread and butter. And for me, being in a rural situation, going out to any of these cities to go to these conferences and seeing, you know, countless bands, I, there's way more bands that I could ever see there. But I, you know, you get a little dance card and you fill it out and you, and you try to catch as many bands as you can. And a lot of times it's the agent who calls you, like we were talking about, who says, uh, hey, I got this band who's perfect for you. And I look, I look at the videos and I go, yeah, I, I, could, I hope that's true. I, I'm not biting on them. And they go, hey, I'm going to see you in Nashville in the fall. And then you show up at that conference and he buys you a, a drink and he goes, let's check them out. And you stand in there and you're like, oh yeah, now I get it. Yeah, I get it. All right. And then you go, hey, call me up when we get home and let's talk about a date. And that's, that's how some of the bands, that's how some of them land. Um, you know, you're saying 5% ish. I would say in a, in a normal year, um, I, I'd like that number to be like 30 to 30%. I find that way. Sure. And I was talking with the auditorium stuff with, with the summer concert series. I want to say just from folk Alliance alone, I've booked, 50% sometimes yeah. 60%. Uh, it, it's crazy that those, those two Americana Fest and, and folk Alliance. I feel like we could talk all day about booking. We should have just made this a booking specific podcast, but real quick, a, a couple avenues in the booking world. I'm sure that you go down, you know, just block booking. I, I'm a little more persistent about it than other folks, but you know, just emailing you out of the blue and being like, Hey, what have you got? And you're like, Oh, I got this guy in the state, you know, working with other presenters in the area is a real great way to get some band, especially if you're working on a budget. Is there anything I've missed? Is there any other way? Do you just like a band sometime and reach out to them and, and get them to, has that ever happened? Remind me to come back to the Cordovas. Cause that, that's the story I'll tell you about in terms okay. of just liking a band. But, um, but I want to address what you said about um, the regional buyer situation. And that's super important in my world. Like you up there in, in Wyoming and I've got buyers who I know in, um, you know, in Salt Lake, which is, you know, five hours west of us. Um, you know, the Moab Folk Festival crew, Cassie and Melissa, they, I've worked with them so clo closely through the years. I literally work with them now. I, I run their summer concert series now. Um, buyers all, you know, on the front range, they're kind of their own world. They're Bo uh, Denver Boulder, but but everywhere from, you know, other buyers in Crested Butte down to Durango to Buena Vista to all, all the places around. These are friends and colleagues, you know, through the years, they've become friends and colleagues. And when I get an email from you, Tim, saying I've got this band coming through, um, they may need another date. That is that is just music to my ears every time. Um, and I try to do the same, you know. It's often like you're like transitioning to the other part of the question. It's often when you have a pet band that you really want and that their agent sometimes 
can, they're a little floppy, you know, they're not great at their job. And they basically just say to you, yeah, that's great. You want that band, but you know, I got nothing else for them. So you're going to have to wait to, to, you know, to they, until they develop a tour. And my answer to that is always the big roll of the eyes, which they can't see because you're an agent, man, go make a tour. I'm giving you 3000 bucks, go start a tour, you know, but they, if they don't, they basically are falling back on me calling you and my other colleagues saying, Hey, I love this band. You know, let's make something happen. You got a couple thousand bucks. Uh, you got 1500 bucks. Let's, we can, let's put $10,000 together. And, and then, then the agent can't say no, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's basically yeah. kind of, and that's a big part of, you know, again, like, I mean, you, the, starting out in this business is one thing, but being in it for a while and, Developing these relationships with the agents is very important, but also developing relationships with other colleagues like you around the area, especially the fact that we're a rural area is very important. Like if we were in a city, a metropolitan area, we would be looking at our colleagues as competition. Out here, I look at them as, you know, necessary friends. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I just uh, booked something with with, uh, my buddy in Laramie. I will do that for, I want to say, let's see, we book in the summers, we book around 13 to 15 bands, counting support slots. And I will do that for three to four of them, at least. Usually, you know, bands that I just like that I'll see at Folk Alliance that don't have management or don't have exactly. a booking agent. I'm happy to do it. it. It gives me a little taste of being an agent without actually having to be an agent, which I would imagine um, is is one of the most frustrating jobs in the world. <laughs> Stay um, where you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't fall into the agent category. That's a tough job. But I, 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 I agree with your, your kind of frustration there when you are dealing with agents that just work in the like major markets that just don't seem to, you know, I've, I've pitched that to people and have been like, well, I can get you three or four other dates. It'll get you from Denver to Boise. And I'll be like, well, no, and it always doesn't work out. But, um, yeah, so there, well, there's a, there's a delicate balance and a delicate, like, persistence you need to have to kind of make some of these shows work. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned it happened in Moab and it's happened a couple of times. As a matter of fact, sometimes like I just put an off, I just uh, put three offers in for Steve Poltz to play for me in Paonia in Ridgeway and Moab. And, uh, and they all just boom, boom, boom accepted. So I just booked a little tour for Steve Poltz all by myself and all venues that I, I work with. So that's kind of where this has gone to, you know, but it all started with just, you know, calling these venues saying, I, I need, I need you to make an offer to Steve Poltz, you know? Yeah. And Steve Poltz is great. And, uh, so, but I want to tell you like, um, Oh, the pet band thing, you know, the Cordovas is one that, uh, I'm just, I'm super excited that I, I booked them, um, this summer, I just confirmed that. Now, that's a band you've had before, right? No, so, I've never even oh. heard of the Cordovas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, they played up in Wyoming before. I thought it was with you, but apparently not. Um, so the story there was that I went to see, um, I was with my buddy, uh, Jacob Grutman, who is um, part of the band um, uh, Front Country. And I was out at AMA at the conference at Americana in Nashville and he lives there in Nashville. And uh, we were, I, we were bopping around from venue to venue to see, seeing different bands. And I, I dragged him to this venue to see this band from California. It was a big, you know, very, very good concert series type band. It was like an 11 piece band with horns and a charismatic lead singer. And, you know, you could just see him getting the community out there dancing and the kids and the old people and everybody dancing together. And it was just like, we're always looking for that kind of fun R and B kind of thing, you know? But we went into the, I believe it was um, 
uh, I think it was the five spot in Nashville and we caught the end of their set and it was boring. It was just, the energy was low, even though they were that band, we were like, okay, super, not very impressed. And Jacob turned to me and said, I got a band you're going to love. And they're about three blocks down. So, and I can't even remember the venue it was, but we took a walk around the block, a couple blocks down. We walked in and I saw this, it's a jam band, the, the Cordovas, they're a jam band, but they were playing tons of original, it was originals, super tight. They threw a Grateful Dead cover in there once in a while. And I was just hooked on a personal level because I'm an old deadhead, as many presenters are. <laughs> I will say it's more presenters you talk, of, you talk to around the country. So many of us, you know, were on tour at one point or another with the dead. And um, they just hit all of my sensibilities. And Jacob knows me real well. And he just hit a home run with that one. So ever since, for a couple of years now, I've been trying to get them to play for me somewhere out here. And it's been not easy because they don't have a big draw band name or anything like that. So they're an example of, I, I was on a Zoom call a couple of months ago and I was on a call with a couple of um, theaters in Colorado that were just saying, they were saying, okay, we're just starting to book the summer. And I said, okay, I've got a band for you. <laughs> and I threw the Cordovas there and they, they bit and I helped put that tour together with the agent. And so now I get my little pet band, which I'm going to love. And all the Grateful Dead fans in my audience or sensibilities toward the dead, they're all going to love them too. So I'm very happy about that. I think that's a good uh, spot to maybe progress into more of the production side, you know, after after booking and once once the band's headed to to your series, how how do you go about production? How did you dial it in, you know, from the early days and h- how do you handle it now? And I'm talking specifically sound, light, stage. So, okay, so the the origin story there was that I moved to town and there was no music going on. Um I was playing a little bit of music and I ended up getting together with some friends and we formed a band called Sweet Sunny South, which we ended up touring for about 10 years together. Our band had a little PA system, you know, these big heavy speakers and a mixing board basically. So the first few years we just used the band PA and, and, you know, in the theaters and the little halls that we put on shows um, and we'd run sound ourselves, which was uh, what it was, you know? And then, um, and then I started hiring a couple of different sound guys. Um, and then I started working with uh, a, a guy in the community here. His name's Daniel. And Daniel had a system, and it was pretty small uh, sound system. And as my shows were getting bigger and bigger, um, he had to keep adding to his system to make it work with the bigger bands that I was bringing in. And then um, we had a conversation one year and it was probably about five or six years ago, I'm guessing, maybe seven or so, I don't know, time is weird. But um, a few years ago, he you know, sat me down and said, you know, I, you are progressing faster than I have the equipment for and here's where I'm at. He said, there's a really sweet system for sale down in Santa Fe right now and it's X amount of money and it would be a really big investment for me. Um, and he said, I'll do that if I know that I'm going to be working with you for the next few years. And at the same time, I had some different production companies from around the area courting me saying, I want to come in and run your shows with you. So I had to make a choice and I decided to stick with my local friend, Daniel, and he went and bought that bigger system. And ever since he's been my guy and I still get courted by bigger sound companies who want to work with me, but I've given Daniel the commitment and he's a solid dude. 
who really resonates with the bands. And to me, that's as important as anything is when any band shows up, it could be, I mean, we had Lucas Nelson a couple of years ago, um, whoever, you know, uh, I know that when they show up and Daniel greets them, they're in good hands and I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about someone on his team being a jerk to the bands, or I don't have to worry about egos or, um, or anything, you know, like he, I, cause that kind of trust enables me to run a show without stress because I'll tell you what, I don't want stress in my life. I don't want stress at a show. And so for me to have him running the production just takes all that away. If there's an issue, he comes up to me or the band comes up to me and it's always dealt with. So the equipment is, you know, it's not the most high end equipment in the world, but it totally works. Um, I had a conversation with the other, with him the other day and, you know, you know, he, we're having a similar situation where I'm bringing in even bigger bands now that he's like, you know, what are we going to do if we bring in, um, you know, one of the bands we were looking at was Femi Kuti, you know, which is Fela Kuti's son. And I don't know if you know, but in the Afro beat world, it's a big deal. And he's, it's a, you know, 16 piece band. It's going to be a lot of high energy egos going on there with a lot of needs. And, you know, he's saying to me, if you're going to walk into this realm, he's like, I'm going to need some help. So I was like, okay, well, let's, let's do that. Let's build off what you have, you know? So, so there's a lot of trust and, um, you know, my partners in this, um, it's important me, it's important for me to keep it on a, on that level, on a trust level. Sure. We, uh, we have a very, very similar uh, story with our series. It started real small. In fact, it's called the Soundcheck Summer Music Series uh, because we wrote a grant, bought a PA, an old carbon PA, and we were like, okay, well, we got to figure this thing out. And, you know, we just thought, hey, we'll just plug it in and a band will show up. And 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 I think this is a really great time. If, if someone's listening that's thinking of uh, starting a series, do not run sound yourself. Like hire a professional to do that. Um, they're there, they're out there. You yeah. just got to find them. Yeah. And, and, uh, you, you have a Daniel, right? Yep. Yeah. And we have a Dave and there's a, another lesson is if your band is happy from a sound standpoint, you know, if they show up and they're, they immediately meet you and they meet your sound guy and understand that, oh, okay, this is a legit sound guy. These guys are wearing black. It's some nice equipment. They're going to be so much happier, and you're going to have a much better show. Um, I cannot imagine, you know, maybe that's why agents don't send their bands to rural areas is because, I mean, you know, you toured, um, you said, it, it, it's got to be so crazy to just go to a new venue every single night and have no idea what you're getting as far as sound. Um, and as far as the sound engineer, so, uh, lesson there, dial in your sound, have a good sound guy and your bands will be happy and your crowd will be happy and you don't have to do a thing. You just pay an expert, uh, to do it. Tim, I think you're, I think you're so right. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's a really crucial, uh, part of the magic that happens when it's all there. But when it's not there, like if there's conflict or stress or struggle or some kind of disappointment with the band and the sound situation, it is a hurdle that you and your audience will never get over. Like if the band is miserable or just isn't happy, 
um, this show won't be great. And that's just the reality of the situation. And, uh, but, but if you take that possibility of unhappiness out of the equation, the magic is just there to happen. And then it's just between the band and the audience. And then we got a home run, you know? Um, you talked about, you know, showing up to, to shows, your sound guys got things dialed in and we all have our, our jobs. How involved are you day of show? Um, as far as, when the bands show up, um, are you on stage? Do you talk and intro the bands to the audience? Again, getting into the, if you're going into the arts presenting world, you will have to talk to a lot of people at one time, possibly 800 to 1,000 people at one time, which over the years I've, I've gotten used to and I've gotten more comfortable doing it. But um, yeah, I guess just how involved are you, Dave's show? Well, to... to to answer that just kind of truthfully, I have to just acknowledge that I, I, you know, I do a lot of different things as a promoter at this point. Um, I, I really try to focus most of what my job is, if, especially if I take on a new job, is strictly being the talent buyer, which means I'm finding the bands, getting them to contract, and then I'm handing that contract to the venue or the people who are actually going to run the show. And I try and I put in my contract that I may not be able to attend every show. And so I'm, I'm running too many shows to be at them all at this yeah. point. Sometimes I'm running three different shows in three different towns on the same night. So there's that. But, but I think your question is more designed toward my hometown series, which is Paonia, which is um, our summer concert series is in August and it's Thursday, it's in August and it's in its 14th year and it's called Picking in the Park. And I started Picking in the Park 14 years ago um, and that's the one that I do get up on the stage and I talk to everybody. I tried hiring a couple of different MCs through the years and although I thought they were doing a pretty good job and they allowed me to just hang out during the show, um, I had a lot of feedback that people kind of missed me being up there. Um, so I just keep doing it and I get up there and I'm not, you know, it's, I, I think my vibe when I get up there, especially cause it's my community is uh, I just try to, yeah, there's a lot of people out there. I don't think of it as intimidating as much as kind of we're all here together. And I, the way I speak to them is as like a family kind of, you know, here we are again in our 11th year doing this. How about that? You know, like, what about last year's series? And I just kind of talk to them casually, you know, and then I list off our 12 million sponsors that make this thing happen, you know, and uh, which is probably the reason why we're talking anyway, is mostly to acknowledge sponsors, you know, uh, that's what, that's what I do. That's what I do too. Stage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's mostly what it is. Um, and I try not to waste anybody's time. I try to, but it is amazing how long it takes to say the necessary things, you know, yeah. like bathrooms are over there. Uh, no smoking of any kind. That's the, that's the new thing yeah. I always say, because we're a legal pot here in Colorado. So I have to remind people, you know, can't smoke in public places. Um, you know, keep the dogs on the leash, you know, just like little housekeeping rules. And then here's our 2 million sponsors to thank. And, you know, you try to like, look at the audience as you're talking to them. And every once in a while, you're like, um, hello, I said the Camp Foundation. Yes, everybody give them a hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get a lot of blank stares just in general when you, when you talk to large groups of people. I, I think they, you know, they, they appreciate it. And I, I do the same thing. I try to keep it pretty short, list some sponsors, thank the opening bands. Challenge people, though, isn't it? Yeah. Tell people to go 
get merch. Um, but yeah, it's it's taken, I don't know, 14 years to kind of, I, I kind of like where I'm at now. Um, but boy, those were back when, back when we were running our own sound and talking on the mic at the same time, it was, oh gosh. Um, my, my, uh, people make fun of me. I'm always, I always have a clipboard in my hand. That's just the deal during all my shows. I just have a clipboard with, because I can't remember things. I just oh, sure. To. I just write it on the back of a flare. Clipboard's a good, that's a good look. <laughs> it's for some reason I remember Bill Graham walking around with a clipboard. As I think I, Bill Graham, of course, the, you know, famous concert promoter from the sixties and early seventies. Um, uh, he's, he's definitely someone I look up to in many ways. So yeah, if you have a clipboard and like a whistle, I need a whistle. I think you just started something new. I like that. <laughs> um, I, I did want to get into, um, you know, I, I, I take a lot of time with the graphic design for our shows and our series. Um, your posters always have a real nice, unique, I don't even know how to describe the style. Uh, if you're listening, you know, check out pickinproductions.com um, to take a look at a few. Who handles that? And what, what, what's your kind of aesthetic um, in the, in the poster graphic design, marketing, announcing yeah. department. Well, yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I was, if there is an aesthetic, just like loosely, I, you know, my, my, my main designer likes art nouveau, I think is one way to kind of put it. Um, you know, we started always kind of gravitating toward like a rootsy feel for sure. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I have a main designer, his name is Jimmy down in Jimmy Galliani. He's with Pop Narcotic and you can check out his website, Pop Narcotic. Um, he's down in Arizona. And, uh, you know, I stumbled upon Jimmy cause I saw a band who I was working with Foghorn String Band yep. years ago was playing in Bisbee, Arizona at this little theater. And as I, I kind of took a double take on the poster of that theater and I just loved it. And so I went down the rabbit hole. I was like, who did this? And he's just some guy in his, you know, bedroom or whatever, you know, doing this for this theater. And uh, he and I got to know each other, Jimmy, and I, he must be at least, I don't know, a dozen years or so working together. Um, so he does most of my posters. Um, I do call on other designers every once in a while when I'm, I, for various reasons, there's a guy, Phil Barker down in um, Asheville, North Carolina, who does a fantastic job too. His style is a little bit more woodprint oriented in the Rootsy kind of yep. vein, um, but he's really creative in a different way. And it meshes with what Jimmy does. A lot of what Jimmy does is take, like for our most recent concert series, he took, um, I forget the artist's name, but he's from Czechoslovakia, he's from 1890s, you know? Um, so like taking these old um, prints uh, that are a public domain and, uh, and using them and doing some great graphics around it. And I think it's important. I think branding's, branding is important. Um, you know, uh, I had a friend of mine look at the latest poster and I said, what do you think of this? And she said, it's your brand, you know, and I could tell that means she didn't love it and that's okay. You know, you know, can't love every poster or whatever, but more importantly, it is the brand and that's, and that's cool. That's Some funny. are better than yeah. others. You know? When I do a poster, my wife's always like, it looks like something you would do. Yeah. <laughs> But again, as far as, um, you know, giving some some light little lessons here to anyone trying to get into this world. Yeah. Don't short on your marketing. You know, there's nothing that really frustrates me more than seeing a really cool show or just somebody doing something that, you know, they probably put a lot of time into and then yeah. just having some crappy poster that they did themselves in Microsoft Word. Well, I'd like to add that I try, you know, obviously in talking about Daniel running my sound and 
I collaborate with lots of different organizations locally. I'm very, very locally minded, very, very community minded. But I will say the one place that I step out of that is my branding of my design. And the reason being, it's not that I don't have great artists who live in my area. It's that the great artists who live in my area work for everybody else. And when you see, you know, I can tell you like anybody here who puts up a poster, I can tell you exactly who made it. Yeah. And so for my shows, I use guys in Arizona and North Carolina because when you see my posters, everybody knows it's me and they don't get it confused with anybody else. I think that's important. Yeah, I think that's very important. How much of just that Peonia series is you? A hundred percent. But with with Peonia, where it's all me, um, I have to keep myself in check where if I start feeling like, oh, maybe I'll do something really cool and different. I have to remember that I do have the times and places for those types of events, but maybe it's not there, you know, which is very hard to kind of check yourself like that. Sometimes. Yeah, it's, it, it's and sometimes you just do a show that not a lot of people like and they let you. Well, know I know it's so tempting <laughs> to do that, but um, but I've learned, you know what, you know, what keeps me away from doing that is the pain <laughs> that you feel standing there, seeing the audience drift away. Like if, if it's a band that, or just walk away (laughs) or, or walk away, but that's, that's kind of a different thing. I actually have been known. I, I, I'll, I'll walk out with people. Like I'll put a, I'll put some kind of edgy rock band up there, which I know that 60% of my audience is going to freak out and love, but then the old timers just pack up their chairs on the first song and they start walking out and I walk out and I just put my arm around the, the older ladies. And I'm just like, look, I got a bluegrass band for you next week, which you are going to love, you know, and I'm thank you for coming out. You know, I try to address that, but it's more the bands that like are up there trying to do their thing. And you knew going in that they probably don't have the charisma it, it, sometimes it's not even the the style of music as much as like the energy that they bring or don't bring. There are certain bands, and I'm not going to name bands here on this on this thing because I don't want to get in trouble. But there are bands that I I really do like them as people, and I like the style of music, and I like some of their songs. But I know that they don't have the charisma to hold the attention of a thousand people. Now, then, what happened? And I'll and I've put them up there anyway. And what happens is you're standing there and you see the audience, you, you know what, you know what the telltale sign is, is in between songs when you don't hear much clapping and you just hear talking. Yeah. Then you're just putting on a party with background music. And then I know I've failed. Right. And that's, ex- that, that's expensive background music. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's not what I want. It's an opportunity. Like every time one of these concerts happen, and we're right now talking about the free concert series is that we do. Every time is an opportunity for greatness. You know, every time is the opportunity for your community to have an experience for free that they've never had and that they will remember for decades. Sure. You know, like when you saw that band and they came, March 4th marching band, when they came yeah. and played for us, it like changed our community like i mean we went that was kind of the the transition when we had that band it was a transition from like rootsy americana just pretty consistently to oh my god you brought a circus to town and they play trumpets and and trombones and they juggle and they are on stilts and oh my god let's do more of that you know like you have those opportunities. So like instead of March 4th marching band, I could have chose that other band that I kind of liked that was boring and didn't carry the energy. 
you know, you got to shoot for greatness every time, you know, and you could fall short. But but the, the lesson that I've learned is that we know sometimes we don't we're not honest with ourselves as buyers, but we know whether that band is going to hit a home run. Or yeah, not. absolutely. There's there's when we talked about going down that, that wormhole of all, all the bands you get your inbox gets inundated with. I, there's probably four things out of 70 things that, that I'll see that, that I, that I like. Um, you kind of touched on, on the old people pulling up their chairs and you talked about, uh, kids coming up to the stage and dancing. Let's flip it to the audience. What, what is so special about these outdoor summer concert series from a community standpoint? Oh, well, not that old people picking up their chairs and storming out of your no, show. No. no, they don't <laughs> for, do that very often. No, they they're usually... awesome. I, 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 well, what, what they've learned to do in my experience is, um, the people who are kind of either indifferent or may not like all the music, they end up just setting up camp pretty far from the stage. Now they've got kind of their own contingent in like the back where the music isn't as loud. And if they want to check out the music, they can come up there. Yeah. So the, everyone's sort of like, by now, everyone's kind of got their way to approach these series, where to be and who to hang out with and stuff like that. But I'll, I'll say that again, like I'll focus on Paonia here. And it's true, I think, for all of the series as I've been involved in, but Paonia is a good example of it, which is that through the 20 something years I've lived here, you know, we went through the Gulf War, we went through the Iraq War, we went through different presidents, we went through Donald Trump, we've gone through all sorts of divisive political deals here, you know. Um, and on the street, like at one point we had, I can't remember which war it was, but it was, you know, we had code pink on one side, you know, hippies, you know, protesting. And then we had, you know, patriots on the other side, you know, yelling at them and stuff like that. And there was a lot of tension just going to the post office. You know, there really was. And it's not all the time around here. It's, it's I've seen waves of it, you know, through the years. But through those years, we've had these community concerts and everybody comes the miners, the ranchers, the the conservatives, the hippies, the everybody. And it's really, and, and this is very acknowledged in town here. We It's acknowledged by our mayor and our town council and everybody who talks about this event picking in the park. It's the only thing that happens in Paonia where every part of the community shows up and you have coal miners with their blankets right next to, you know, dreadlocked hippies. And it is really the only chance, the only time where they are all hanging out with each other for an hour. And then they're like, hey, can I borrow your hot sauce, you know, for this thing? Sure. They're actually interacting. They're actually hanging out. And music aside, that alone um, is a bond that I, and I'm, you know, this is not made up. This is real deal stuff. And if, uh, if we didn't have it, uh, I would, I would have a little bit less hope for, you know, the little microcosm of humanity that is here. <laughs> yeah, as as a fellow, you know, rural presenter. And I, I think this is true of concert series in cities. Um, they serve as a great, I mean, music in general just serves as a great unifier of, uh, of people, um, of generations. And that's, that's you know, I had a, a question, you, you know, what do you appreciate the most about it? But I think you just sort of answered it and that that's my answer as well. It's just these concert series 
bring our entire community together. It gives us the opportunity to book some of our favorite bands. And, you know, if there's someone out there listening that lives in a community, regardless of size, that doesn't have, you know, a summer concert series, I can't stress enough how important these things are once, once, once they get set up and once they've been around for 10 years, you know, they're just these, these great things that bring a lot of people together. Absolutely. I mean, that is, you're right about the answer to that question. That, that is the, that is the most important thing about these concerts is, is they bring the, they really, it's not just wordplay. They really bring the community together. And if you're listening and you're a community around the West and you want to start one of these, um, call me or Tim. I mean, I don't know how, how interested you are of doing more of these, but I'm, I'm very interested in, in doing it. And I have conversations with um, different communities, different towns, fairly often a few times a year. Um, And I, but I want to keep having those conversations and be real about what it takes. Um, Because like you're saying, it's, if you, if you're a community that doesn't have these, you should have these and you got to figure out a way to make it happen because it, it's the glue and it's, especially with, you know, I mean, ever since whatever the seventies, we've all been, you know, before that, I guess the fifties, we've all been like in our house watching our TVs with our doors locked, you know, it's like, we gotta, we gotta keep these ways of getting out together as a community, uh, happening, you know, whether it's, you know, I mean, I know there's like school events, but there's really not a lot of things around here, at least that draw people together. I think that's a really great way to put it. And I think that's a great place to end this episode. You know, booking bands and presenting shows is something I love doing. And it was really great to talk to someone who sort of shares that same enthusiasm for this really niche thing we do. Absolutely. And and it's great to connect you with you always, Tim. And thanks for uh, the opportunity to do this. This was my first podcast ever and uh, it was fun. All right. Thanks again to Rob Miller at Pickin Productions for joining us on the show. Be sure to check out what Rob's up to at pickinproductions.com. And like we alluded to there at the end, please reach out to Rob or myself if you're interested in starting a concert series in your community. You can hit Rob up at pickinproductions at gmail.com and you can find all my info at artspresenterpodcast.com. On our next episode, we'll be talking to Deidre Gott, live music booker and senior producer at KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. Deidre's going to talk shop about booking bands for on-air performances at one of my favorite radio stations. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on all the socials at Arts Presenter Podcast. And while you're surfing the web, be sure to check out Seattle indie folk band Kawinka. That's their music you hear at the top and bottom of the show, and they're one of my favorite bands. Find Kawinka online at quinkathaband.com. Thanks for listening to the Arts Presenter Podcast. Mm-hmm.